Well, hello, and welcome to the Through the Word podcast, as pastors Chris Mitchell and John Bell seek to answer questions that come from the reading of God's Word, beginning in Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Thank you for joining us. Well, hello, I'm Pastor John Bell. And I'm Pastor Chris Mitchell. And this is the Through the Word podcast, where we seek to answer questions from God's Word as our church family reads through God's Word, starting in Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And this week we are in Ezekiel. And Pastor Chris, we ask for more questions. And yeah, we, we have got them. more right. questions. I know. And we're still in the Old Testament, and tomorrow is September. I know. <laughs> and we wow. started in Genesis. Yes. We're still in the Old Testament, and we're and it's almost September. The gospel so. banner will be hanging soon. Yes, but, that's right. But right now, we are thankful for these questions. So, Pastor Chris, if I with you, you want to get into them? Yes, let's get started. All right, so the first question we have is chapters 1 and 10 in Ezekiel speak of cherubim. And so in chapter 1, the text mentions them having the face of a man, a lion, ox, and an eagle. Then in chapter 10, verse 14, it speaks of the cherubim, where one had the face of a cherubim, the second was a human face, third, face of a lion, fourth, face of an eagle. So the question is, are these the same cherubim? Scholars do believe that they are okay. uh, the same cherubim, even though chapter 10 leaves out the ox. Right. And substitutes it for the cherub's face. So that's interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Ezekiel would look at that. Yes. You know, like, that's, that's a big difference between the face of an ox, right. I guess, and the right. face of a cherub. Uh, but they do believe they're the same. Okay. There are various interpretations of these creatures, but I liked how the ESV study Bible explained them as being majestic in their own realm. And so what they okay. meant by that was you think of the lion being majestic among the wild. Right. I've also also heard that it's like the the superior species of the wild. I've heard people say sure. that. It's sort of interesting to me. Um, the ox was like the the top of the domestic animals. Okay. <laughs> so, well, I mean, it, you take beef into account there. Sure. That's... Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, the, the eagle was a majestic yes. bird in flight. And I, could you imagine if we were the, you know, the turkey was our emblem, like Benjamin Franklin wanted instead of an eagle? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, okay. But we do eat them at Thanksgiving. Yes, we do and eat the turkey. one. But we don't eat the majestic eagle. Right, right? no, that's right. <laughs> and then they had the human face that's majestic and symbolizing the pinnacle of God's creation. So, okay. I mean, I like that interpretation, at least this understanding of these creatures sort of uh, majestic in their own area, right. their own realm. Yeah. What we do know is that these creatures have points of similarity with the seraphim that attend God in Isaiah's call there in Isaiah chapter 6. Okay. And with John's vision of the divine throne in Revelation 4. Yes. So their wings touched one another. Okay. Like the wings of the cherubim over the ark in the most holy place of the temple. So there's okay. another connection too. Now, the NIV application commentary uh, has Ian DeGuid, and he explains how the cherubim are not only seen as God's throne bearers. Now, that's just interesting okay. in and of itself. That, the throne bearers. That, yeah, they're the throne bearers. Wow. But also guardians of God's holiness, almost like God's heavenly bodyguard. Mm. So the Don't threatening nature of their presence <laughs> comes from their role as enforcers of divine judgment. Mm. Thus, when the man and woman were thrown out of the Garden of Eden, what was placed at the gate? 
Cherubim. Yeah, right. the cherubim were there. And they were to bar their way back into God's presence, preventing any intrusion of the profane into the realm of God's holiness. So mm. these are definitely very interesting. Sometimes the, the, they're described as the living beings. Right. Um, very interesting. Well, let's keep them in mind here. And so we have another question um, about... So let's go back to numbers. Okay. okay. And so there's banners or standards, as in the book of Numbers calls them, and that were part of a tribal declaration as they took up camp around the tent of meeting. So we're in the mm -hmm. book of Numbers here. And right. so the question we received from a listener was referencing the design of these banners and possibly re relating it back to the cherubim. And so the question is, is there a connection? Some Jewish historians have various ideas of what was on the banners. Okay. But the Bible does not tell us what they look like. Okay. They probably had some sort of insignia on them. We know other ancient armies had them, so they weren't original to the Israelites. Or sure. it, it wasn't like that was a way they got to be set apart right. from the other nations. Okay. But the Bible doesn't tell us what was on them. You know, there's some great, you can Google it <laughs> right? and see all kinds of theories and ideas about what might have been on them. And this that our listener brought up is one of those. Okay. That on the banners was one had an ox and sure. one had an That's on there. But the Bible doesn't tell us that, okay. and so I, would, I wouldn't want to go there. Right. We just know that there were flags, and they represented the tribes. Right. Okay. Thank you. And so let's move on to chapter 10. Back to Ezekiel, right? And, not in numbers. Ezekiel, not in Numbers. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were in Numbers, and we Numbers think... 2, because that's where it talks about the standard. Right. That's true. Those banners, yeah. yes. And so now we're back into Ezekiel. And in chapter 10, and so you got verses 2 and 6 and 7, and there is a mention of a man in white linen. Who might this be? <laughs> well, <laughs> there are many questions surrounding the identity of this man. Okay. And while I can't say definitively who he is, I can share the things that I've learned okay. in our study. First, he is wearing white linen. So linen garments were worn by priests, but angels and those in the presence of God are also described okay. that way. All right. Next, we learn in chapter 9, so just even before where this question came from, yes. in chapter 9, this man was the seventh angel of the group of angels that were carrying out the execution of judgment on Jerusalem. Okay. So it talks about six angels, and then it says, and then there was the man in the white linen. Right. So we say he's kind of like the seventh angel there. Now, this angel had a writing case. So he was okay. probably a scribe, uh, apparently charged with keeping a heavenly record. But he was also responsible to mark the foreheads of those in Jerusalem who had been faithful to God. Okay. So those he left unmarked right. were subject to death in Babylon's siege. Mm. But the ones he marked were God's elect, those who were penitent, and they were offered protection. And so it was like this picture of grace right. for the remnant. And then the mark on the foreheads may have influenced John okay. in Revelation 7.3 and Revelation 14.9. Okay. So you have that happening in chapter 9. When we cross over into Ezekiel 10, God specifies the marking angel, this man clothed in white linen, right. to reach into this war machine, not a literal machine, but into okay. this war, these war activities, this sure. is what was getting ready to happen, and fill his hands with fiery coals in the presence of 
the angels. Okay. Um, and so these coals picture the fires of judgment, which God's angels are then supposed to scatter on Jerusalem All right. for the destruction yes. of the wicked. Hmm. We do know that fire did destroy Jerusalem in 586 BC. Right. Uh, so, I mean, we, we've just got this amazing image here. So, who is he? <laughs> well, hmm. again, I can't say definitively, but I wanted okay. to make this point. Some see this particular angel as a possible pre-incarnate Christ. Okay. Who comes to put a mark on the foreheads to spare the faithful, just as a mark was put on the doorposts of the homes of the Israelites in Egypt before the Passover. Okay. The mark given here was the Hebrew letter Tav. Okay. And in the script of Ezekiel's day, it would have been shaped like our capital X. Okay. So ancient Christian interpretation then saw this as a potential pointer to the cross. Hmm. And then you think about him being the seventh angel, so seven being the number of perfection. Right. You think about him wearing white linen. Wow. I mean, it, yeah, there's just a lot. It's intriguing to ponder. Yes, it is. And ponder we must because we're not given the entire picture yet, but one day we will see in full. Well, I'm looking forward to that day. Mm -hmm. um, yes. There's, there's still some evil, and there's still some evil today, and there's some, there was some strange evil during Ezekiel's day. And, and so there was these strange wristbands and bells in chapter 13 of Ezekiel. What, what were these? In the bigger picture of this chapter, there were two groups that were uh, introduced for condemnation. You had okay. these male prophets, and they were prophesying delusions. Mm. And then you had these women who were practicing sorcery. Okay. So now, sorcery was mainly practiced by women, and this is the only Old Testament text where false prophetesses, huh? try to say that fast, false prophetesses, prophetesses. Yeah. Yes. were mentioned. So the only place okay. in the Old Testament. Uh, Jezebel is right. called a false prophetess in Revelation 2.20. Yes. Um, she so, showed herself to be one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so these wristbands and veils were supposedly tools that were used by the sorceresses while practicing their divination. Okay. Exactly what the women were doing with them is unknown. Okay. Uh, the text does mention that they use these tools to hunt for souls. Okay. Which sounds really strange. It's, yes, it does. Yeah. It's a... uh, which can best be described as illicit spiritual manipulation. Mm. And it is forbidden. The Bible, and, I, and this is grace, the Bible consistently avoids explicit descriptions of occult practices. Yes. And I just think there's grace there. There is. Um, we know that those with spiritual power are supposed to strengthen the righteous right. and cast down the wicked. But in this case, these women were doing the opposite and mm. they were using these wristbands or these amulets or these things yes. as their tools for evil. Mm. Well, God wins and, yes. and there, his judgment is expressed here against this evil. Right. Well, and look, I mean, in 20... God says, Behold, I'm against your magic bands with which you hunt the souls like birds, and I'll tear them from their arms, and I'll let the souls whom you hunt go free, the soul like birds. Your veils I'll tear off, I'll deliver my people, and they shall be no more in your hand as prey, so that they'll know that he's the Lord. Yeah. He protects That's, his people, and he shows yeah. that he is the Lord. That's right. And, and he also offers grace. And, and mm -hmm. you're going to preach from this passage this, this Sunday, but Ezekiel 18 and so verses 10 through 13, it states that if a man fathers a son who is violent or shed blood, etc., he shall die. But in 1820, it says the son shall suffer for the father 
nor the Father for the Son. And so, is there more of a grammatical error going on here in verses 10 through 13? Well, there are a lot of fathers and sons and pronouns right. that go with that. And so it's easy to miss the flow of thought as we okay. read through this particular passage. So let me answer the direct question first and say it's not a grammatical error. Okay. Uh, if you look at verse 10, it says, if he, if he, speaking of the righteous man that's described in verses 8 through 9, right. if that he fathers, or we could say begets, okay. a son... Right. who does all those forms of defilement, verse 13 says, he shall not live. The he here refers to the son, okay, not the father. So in this case, the son who has sinned will surely die. His blood will be upon himself, but not on his father. So right. that's what's going on there. It's, it's not a grammatical error. It's just as we read it, it, it can get a little confusing there, but, but it's, the he is referring to the son, not the father. Mm. And so the father's not dying for the son's right. sin. But one can turn from their sin and yes. be repentant. As we'll get into that text this Sunday and looking forward right. to that. And they receive grace. Yes. Because of what our Lord has done. Uh, and our God desires that. Absolutely. I mean, what a beautiful God. He desires that we repent and live. He doesn't take any delight in the death of the no. wicked. Desires that none should perish. Right. So... Praise Him. And thank you guys for those questions. And it's send those in to us to throughtheword22 at gmail.com. Hope you have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Through the Word podcast. If you have any questions for us, please send those in to throughtheword22 at gmail.com. That's throughtheword and the number 22 at gmail.com. God bless you. Have a great day.